Hi. Uh, for the next few minutes, I'd like to to tell you a little story. It's a uh, well, it's a story about a young father who's searching for some real answers for his family about the purpose of life. Now, whether or not the answers he finds are real or pretend like scenery on a stage, well, that's really up to you to decide. What you've kind of proposed, and again, we, we may be wrong here, but it's the one thing that's actually felt right to me about the nature of reality, that we don't see it as it actually is. In other words, we don't see truth. We see a graphical user interface that is a series of icons that are tuned to keep us alive and reproducing, but not tuned to show us the truth. And the underlying truth that is there may be much more interesting than we think. So, yes. And this Mormon, weird Mormon story that we've created over the ages and that we're continuing now in whatever phase it is, it's a story I, I wanted to keep living out. But it was very much about constructing my own reality in a way. It helps me get over things faster. Or at least this is what I've been learning and experiencing the past maybe three years. I go through something difficult and then I'm like, oh, I'm just supposed to feel the feels. Mm. I'm supposed to take the lesson and then I'm supposed to let it move through me. And so many people let that energy get stuck, stuck. This is Infants on Thrones. Baby steps. Who wants someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. Who wants religion to? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. the good in everything look for the people who will set your soul free it always seems impossible until it's done look for the good in everyone welcome back to infants on thrones i'm glenn ostland and this is episode 739 what is real and today I'm joined again by Shalice and Mike from the Mormons on Mushrooms podcast to discuss some of the ideas of Donald Hoffman, professor of cognitive science at the University of California, Irvine, and author of the book, The Case Against Reality, How Evolution Hid the Truth from Our Eyes. Now, another thing I'll be bringing into this is that in 1989, <laughs> the Mormon church put out a video called What is Real? And I watched this so many times, and I showed it to so many people on my mission. You might remember it as well. It tells the story of a young father who starts worrying about his newborn daughter. He gets super worried one night that she's going to grow up all nihilistic and resigned to meaninglessness and whatnot, asking questions about the nature of reality that he won't be able to answer. Sandy, what's wrong? She's going to be gone at 20 minutes. And I don't have the answers. What answers? What are you talking about? The answers to the questions she's going to ask us. I mean, like, who am I? What am I doing here? 
What is life all about? Honey, she's only a couple weeks old. Besides, I thought I was the one who worried about things like that. Yeah, but you just can't run away from it. Look, someday she's going to need to know the answers to these questions, and it's our job to tell her. Why can't he answer these questions? Because he's not Mormon, and he hasn't met the Mormon missionaries yet. That happens later in the video. And then he gets the answers to all of his questions, because that's one of the main commodities that Mormonism sells, a sense of existential certainty, knowing that you know the one true truth. But is it really even possible to know the truth about reality? And is it really even healthy to attach yourself to a sense of truth and reality that isn't really a sense of truth and reality? Maybe it's more healthy to just become comfortable with uncertainty. And this is where Donald Hoffman comes in, at least for me. So I sent a podcast episode to Shalise and Mike to listen to, and you'll hear a few clips from it in this episode today. And I'll post a link to that other podcast episode on the Infants on Thrones website under this episode. But today, you're going to hear Shalise and Mike and I explore this idea about the nature of reality and our inability to truly grasp what it really is, not to make anyone here all nihilistic and resigned to meaninglessness and whatnot, but to recognize the role that our minds play in constructing the subjective reality that we live in so that hopefully we can make more informed choices on the subjective reality that we want to create. But before we get to that, Mike and Shalise are going to talk a little bit about the summer solstice divine assembly festival that they went to and uh, did like all kinds of crazy drugs and stuff. So, all right. <laughs> Hang on, on your hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. Okay, so I, I hit the record button. So I just want to have just like a free-flowing conversation about whatever you guys are interested in. And I kind of want to hear about how the uh, festival was too. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. Well, and this is great, Glenn, because as I was listening back this morning, so I was listening for the second time that clip you talked about or that you sent about reality. This is this is the uh, um, Donald Hoffman thing. Yeah. Okay. And so at the festival, we can talk about this for a minute, because so Friday night I took a I went on a journey, maybe took too much medicine (laughs) that first night, you know, as a newbie does. But it was very much about constructing my own reality in a way, right? Mm. So I felt myself zooming out and like being, well, I'm just wondering if we're going in too deep right now, but like being pulled out of the matrix in a way and Mm. seeing like the entities behind, you know, it felt like there were several oversouls controlling men, several different people at the festival. <laughs> controlling oversouls? Uh, I don't know about controlling, but like <laughs> piloting. I don't know. Puppeting. Puppeting. It was like puppeting. It felt like really? puppets. It really? Did. It felt like, yeah. And then there was a moment where it's like, okay, which reality do I want to go back into? And it had this moment where it's like, I like my current reality. I like this story, Mm -hmm. you know, this, uh, you know, it's in Western or I guess, yeah, Western Utah out there. Um, And so a lot of 
ex-Mormons, maybe even current Mormons at the festival. And this Mormon, weird Mormon story that we've created over the ages and that we're continuing now in whatever phase it is, it's a story I, I wanted to keep living out. Well, and what, what story is that? What, what is that Mormon story that you want to keep living out? That's a good question. So the story I want to keep living out is this next phase, which to me feels like the liberation from it in a way. The, so you, you, you want the Mormon story to continue, but you also want to be liberated from it. Yeah, that part of the story, though. <laughs> you mean you just want to continue reflecting on well, how it affected you? No, I mean, this part where people are coming coming together, as we're doing it on this podcast, and, and you know, how, how you've done for many years, and Infants on Thrones, waking up to like, oh, maybe, maybe this version I was told isn't the, the full reality. Mm. And maybe it's done me some harm. And real processing that, but then processing the next stage, which is, okay, what do we do with it? What reality do we want to create now? Yeah. And co-creating it with all these people that, you know, we're meeting at the festival, all these people that the community that's coming together, I feel like around, around healing. And I don't know if healing's the right word, but just coming together around what reality do we want to create now together? And that's the story that excites me. Because I think as we wake up to the fact that Maybe we weren't, I think it was in our last one we did together, Glenn, where we talked about how once you stop identifying as the victim, you realize you've had more control over this than you realize you have. And so maybe it's time we stop playing the victim role and play the role we want to play, whatever that is. What is it? What is the role that you want to play? I don't know. I mean, we're still figuring that out. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like it's the martyr and I'm like, no, I don't want to play that story anymore. I like, I don't know, maybe that's what I'm still figuring out, but I like the fact that I feel like now I have more choice mm. in what that role should be or what I want it to be. And that was my first night at the festival. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so the, so the experience you took, you, you took a, a lot of medicine, probably more than you should have. And, and, does that mean that you got like a little paranoid and you felt yeah. Yeah. There, was there was a couple hours of par paranoia and it was hard because you know we were the ones we were holding space for people there in a way yeah and so Shalise did a tremendous job that first night of keeping things afloat thank you Shalise you're welcome <laughs> uh because Doug and I both did the same amount and uh Doug wasn't quite as paranoid as I was I had a, a few I don't know how long I mean it was a long trip um, but there was one where it felt like I was stuck in a maze, stuck in a, the Truman show in a way mm. where everyone was telling stories around me and it felt like everyone was in on it, but me. Um, so you guys, you guys, so describe the setting for me. You, you were in a, a group doing like a group share and Shalice was, uh, presiding. No. There was no like um, formal Structure. ceremony or like get together within the camp. Everyone was kind of doing their own thing. Yeah. But real quick, when you said that, it kind of struck me. Everyone's in on it but me. 
it's almost like everyone was in the matrix but you and that's why you felt left out because you were pulled out of that huh could be it felt weird yeah it felt huh more like everyone is unaware and you're aware instead of the other way around but then that awareness that's what that that was paranoia i mean i was i was thinking we are trapped in this maze here we created this maze and we're trapped in it forever right that's kind of the awareness of the simulation of reality right that we're talking about here so you felt you felt stuck in something and it filled you with kind of a sense of dread and powerlessness Yep, that no matter what, we're n- I'm not going to be able to escape this maze. Hmm. What would it? Yeah. Interesting. I don't know. I, I don't know what to say well, about this, Mike. Okay. Sorry if I took no, it out no, of your path. No, no, no. It's the perfect path because, yeah. okay, so Donald Hoffman is the one being interviewed, right? Am I getting the name right? Yeah. Donald Hoffman is like a the cognitive scientist or something from, was okay. it? You, so, one of the California universities. Yeah, so Hoffman talks about the organisms that they studied, anyone that could actually see reality went extinct. They, when they weren't getting the fitness payoffs of being blind to their surroundings, then they couldn't deal. And I feel like that's kind of what was happening with Mike here. He like understood kind of what was going on and saw the matrix for what it was. And everyone was just doing their fitness payoffs. And he was like, I can't do this anymore. Okay. Interesting. Is it, it, what, what is the, like when you both talk about the matrix, what, what do you mean by the matrix? When I refer to it, I'm just thinking of like a holographic simulated reality, something that we're dropped into as a consciousness, but we're not actually a physically a part of, we're just kind of experiencing the physicality of what we call life. Okay. So is that what you feel like kind of like right now, what we're experiencing, even though it seems like we're sitting, looking into a computer, seeing each other high and, and talking <laughs> in this microphone, that all of this is really kind of a, a holograph and that there's some kind of conscious agent that exists outside of this experience, but it's experiencing it through each of our perspectives subjectively. I mean, that's one way to look at it, but <laughs> that's I also a lot of words. Like- But I also feel like we are the conscious agent that's controlling Mm. it. I mean, we know that there is a higher power and we are all, I mean, if we want to go along with Wendy Kennedy's story of over souls and soul groups and whatever, Mm. then maybe there is a higher power. But I think when I'm just thinking about myself in a simulation, I don't feel like I'm being controlled by someone else out of the simulation. I feel like I'm controlling it myself. Mm -hmm. So I am the avatar as well as the person playing the avatar, controlling the avatar. Okay. And it's interesting because you talk about, you know, what is, how I would describe the matrix and what's, I think some of the paranoia that was coming up for me, if I'm thinking about it in my personal life is I'm at this festival for the first time, you know, meeting listeners of the podcast, meeting members of the community, meeting just a lot of cool people and really loving it. Um, and, you know, I, I like my corporate job. I, but I, it's, I also feel trapped like the corporate, you know, submitting vacation time and being trapped at my computer for many hours of the day in Excel mm-hmm. spread, spreadsheets. 
And I think lately that's a maze that I've been trying to figure out how to get myself out of, you know, how can I free myself up to really live a more adventurous life maybe, or more of a free life. Hmm. And I feel like that was kind of playing into that. And, you know, during that dark part of the trip, and I realized, you know, someone uh, saw that I was having a hard time and thought, okay, I need to distract him. So let's go to the story time workshop, which was one of the reasons why I didn't know I was in a story time workshop. I thought I was just there and people, so that's why people were telling stories around me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, <felt like> I, was, <laughs> I found that out later. I was talking to him and I was like, why, I, I, I got all these lessons about stories. And he said, well, yeah, I brought you to a story time workshop. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But one of the things that shifted, so it got dark, but then the last half, so it was LSD, which, you know, mm -hmm. is a long yeah. time. Um, and how much did you take? Two tabs. I've never done two tabs before. This is okay. only like the first time I've, I've really only done a full tab once before. Okay. And, and so then you did two. I did two. Yeah. <laughs> so did you stack it with anything else or it was just the LSD? Nope. Okay. That was just LSD. Mm -hmm. uh, I guess I'm a little bit of a lightweight. I don't know. I don't know. I uh, wouldn't say that. I'm just asking. <laughs> I didn't know if you were judging me. Nope. Not judging you. <laughs> but then there was a moment that came and it was when we started dancing. So we had this neon dance, paint dance party right. that Shalise put together beautifully. It was amazing. The neon paint, the tapestries, the all of it. Uh, people were there, their bodies painted, their faces painted. I had my toenails painted and they like <laughs> neon and they, yeah. They glowed. But I had this moment where it was like, okay, if we are in a maze, I love mazes, you know? <laughs> I, like, because the point of the maze is to figure your way out. Yeah. yeah. And so we trap ourselves maybe in these mazes until either one of us or someone we're with or or ourselves, we figure out, hey, I know a way out. I know a better way. And I think th that's a part of the conscious ex experience is that we keep putting ourselves in mazes and new mazes. So one of us or us figure it out and figure out this is a better way forward or a more expansive way forward. And I think that's part of expansion. See, well, that's, that's also kind of what I was thinking when you were talking about being in your corporate, corporate job and how do I get out of this? I almost said, well, do you think part of you likes being stuck? Because then that allows you to process more healing and process more things that you want to grow and expand on that you couldn't otherwise do if you were in a free job, for example. And he talks about that too with um, having the cheat codes of the universe. If we're playing a game and we have all the cheat codes, it's actually not fun. You don't want to play the video game if you know all the answers. Yeah. It's kind of part of life. Yeah. Yeah. So so the, the Donald Hoffman thing um, is basically, he wrote a book called The Case Against Reality, which I got and started listening to. I'm, I'm probably only about a quarter of the way through it. Um, and he covers a lot of things that he covered in that podcast that I shared with you guys, but he goes into way more detail about it. And, and the main, the, the main point is that there is an objective reality. He says, like, so if, if Doug were here and he's like, oh, you're getting me into my solipsism. No, <laughs> he's not saying that, you know, there's, there's nothing that exists except for you. No, there's, there's plenty of objective reality, but 
the way that we experience it is through these physical senses that were evolved from our DNA that evolved over years. And the reason that we evolved the way that we did was because of what you said earlier, Shalise, these fitness payoffs, there are certain things like we didn't evolve to be able to see oxygen. It wasn't necessary to see it, but uh, the way that we experience it, when we breathe it in, if we get too much of it, we get lightheaded. Um, if we don't get enough of it, we get lightheaded. And, you know, there's, there's things like that. So there's a fitness payoff for being in an elevation or someplace that has just the right amount of oxygen and we evolved, but that's not real. That's not reality. Re reality is, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it, that the objective reality isn't what we perceive it to be. It's the same thing it, trying to understand then a video game. If you're looking at you know, Grand Theft Auto, right. you're going, okay, so what I'm seeing here is a car and a bad guy and a this and that. Right, right. Is that really mm -hmm. what's there? And the, um, you know, some people would say, yeah, no, that's there because they're, they're diluted. But right, then right. scientists mm -hmm. would say, no, that's not what's there. Don't be stupid. What's there? Take out a magnifying glass and look at the screen. There right. are pixels there. Right, right, right. So what's really there are pixels. And then if you right. go back even deeper, you know, that it's the little tinier pixels. Right. And, and then if you go behind the screen, you'll see it's circuits and software that you that are hidden behind the whole screen itself. And is that the in that analogy, is that the true nature of reality there? Is that base reality? Well that that shows the difference between what we're perceiving and whatever objective reality might might be. Right. So it's an, it's a good metaphor to help break break us from the idea that of course we're seeing the truth. When, when we see an apple on the table or you know, we see the moon, it, it's just natural to think, oh, of course I'm seeing the truth. My friends see it and they can see it when my eyes are closed. So of course I'm seeing the truth. And I'm saying, no, no, this is all just a, a headset, a virtual reality headset that we've got on. And I look at the moon, I render it just like in virtual reality. I look over in Grand Theft Auto with a virtual reality add-on. Um, I look at my, my steering wheel and, and so I'm rendering a steering wheel. But now I look over there, I'm no longer rendering a steering There is no steering wheel because I'm not creating a steering wheel. There is still in that metaphor, the circuits and software and all the program of Grand Theft Auto that I'm not seeing at all. I'm just seeing the stuff that I render as I look around. I see cars and steering wheels and so forth. And not only that, but if you saw the circuits, if you saw the base reality, the objective, the thing in and of itself. Right. You would not be able to play or survive in the game. Right. right. The guy that just sees the the steering wheel and, and the gas pedal and so forth will beat me. If I'm in there trying to toggle voltages in the computer to try to win the game, good luck. You know, I won't be able to do it quickly enough. But that's not real. That's not reality. Re reality is, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it that the objective reality isn't what we perceive it to be. And we don't really have a, a way of knowing what it would be because we can only perceive what we can perceive. Mm -hmm. And so he, he makes these claims that I still don't understand how he gets there. But, but like, if you're looking at a red tomato, that red tomato, you think that it exists in space when you close your eyes, but it doesn't. Because that red tomato that you're looking at isn't really a red tomato. What you're looking at is kind of like, like a desktop icon on your computer that you would go, okay, I'm going to click on this icon right here. And it's a red tomato icon, but it's, it's really a, all of these, to use like Alan Watts terms, wiggles <laughs> of, of like ener energetic wiggles that are doing all of these complicated 
things that we experience as a red tomato, but that's not really what it is. And what reality actually is, we don't have any way to know because we only have this icon interface through which to experience objective reality. It's important to understand this. There's a few things you said here that will make people go, wait, it made Einstein go, wait. Mm -hmm. So you're saying the moon doesn't exist when I don't look. That's exactly right. That space and time themselves do not exist independent of us. So most of us think that space-time is fundamental reality and all the objects inside space-time are, are part of, are on the stage, this pre-existing stage of space-time. And I'm saying that this, that, that whole idea is, is wrong, that space-time is something that you create in this moment. You're the author of space-time. You're not a bit player that's shown up 14 billion years later after this stage was set. So we are the authors of space and time and all the objects that we see. We're not bit players in space time. Space and time are constructs of our inner face. Absolutely. Now, but here's the, so this is where it becomes very solipsistic if you're not careful. Mm, so mm -hmm. solipsism meaning that, no, I am the only thing that exists and I create the world and everybody else is a figment of my imagination and so on. How is this different than that? Yes, I'm, I'm not a solipsist. So a solipsist would say that, as you said, that, um, yeah, we're creating all this and there's nothing but me and my creation. And I'm saying that there are other consciousnesses out there. I'm talking with you. I believe that you're, you're not just a figment of my imagination. Why, thank you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it means a lot to me. That's right. And I'm not a figment of your imagination. And that, that, you know, that, that puts certain responsibilities on me. I, even though what I perceive is just an icon of, of Zubin, I need to be very, very careful how I treat that icon. Because in interacting with that icon, I could literally cause pain to the consciousness of Zubin. And you could cause pain to me. So our interface gives us a genuine portal to other consciousnesses. All human consciousnesses, my cats my, are my icons, but I believe that my cat icons um, are portals to real conscious creatures that, again, I don't want to hurt. And a mouse, ants, and so forth, it goes all... The interface, I, I claim, is all to other consciousnesses, but the interface is like a visualization tool. Mm. And of course, a visualization tool is there to sort of hide the complexity and dumb things down and so forth, because we don't, we'd be overwhelmed by all the consciousnesses out there. And so that's what space-time is. It's a visualization tool. We only have this icon interface through which to experience objective reality. And um, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure where to go with it or what to do with it. But I just thought it's such an interesting idea, especially some of the things that we've been talking about to bring that in. So had, had you already listened to that Doug, or Mike before you had your experience or you listened to it afterwards? When did you send it to us? No, I listened to it afterwards. Yeah, okay. It was after. after, it was the week after. So I hadn't, but when you sent it, I was like, holy shit, this just feels like it ties in to that. Okay. Um, and I loved his example of, I think he was using, the grand like a grand theft auto analogy right mm -hmm. when you're playing grand theft auto you're you're seeing the screen you're seeing the characters you're interacting with the cars and the, the people in the game but really what's happening is behind the scenes is all the ones and zeros and the circuitry and yeah. the and the electrons and so if you think of that like so that would be it, the matrix that you're talking about yeah yeah, I liked how he used interface to describe it. Mm -hmm. It's just an interface, which is interesting because a few years ago, I learned about the universe basically being ones and zeros. Like when you break everything down to its its smallest 
particle. It's just math, which blew my mind, which is why so many people are interested in numerology. It's like numbers are the universe, Mm. um, which I find so interesting. I think it's really fun and it's cool to hear it from a scientific perspective because I have heard a lot of these things and even experienced them in the spiritual community and in those circles. And I think I mentioned before with you that on one of my mushroom journeys, I felt like I was, well, what I experienced was being on a ship looking at the computers that ran the simulation for earth. And I was like, oh yeah, it's a simulation. (laughs) It's so cool that we have people wanting to break it down in math form and to kind of prove that, which he did, right? Like he actually proved that it's a simulation in some way, shape or form. I think, well, I don't, I don't know that I'd go so far as to say that he proved that it's a simulation, but I, I think, I think what he's able to demonstrate is that most of the things that we assume to be reality aren't actually reality. Um, It's just that, that perception of reality. Um, And the the book, A Case Against Reality, he really does go step by step walking you through it. And like I said, I'm only about a quarter of the way through it. Uh, It's it's fairly dense. It's not as easily accessible, I think, as that podcast conversation was with that Zubin or Z-Dog, whatever that that guy was. Mm -hmm. I liked him, that doctor. Yeah. Um, Well, I'm glad you brought up the solipsism point. And, I, and this is why I wish we had Doug here too to yeah. talk about this because he always goes off on this. But um, and I think that was part of my paranoia when I was in the story time workshop was that oh I this really is just me and everyone are just actors or just figments of my and not figments of my imagination or whatever they're just they're not real I'm the only real thing right right yeah but I do love how he was talking about. And I relate to this more, how it's not solipsism. It's, it, it's the fact that we are really, in reality, we are different. I mean, we're all one, but like we're all different entities. But we have this experience, this interface that allows us to connect with each other in beautiful ways or in different ways. And it's through that interface that enables that to happen. Um, but it yeah, another is- way of looking at it is that it, because of the interface, we have the illusion of separateness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, that's this system yeah. of filters, layers on filters and filters and filters where even though if, if we were able to see reality for what it was is as just this matrix of squiggles and ones and zeros and that sort of thing, where does Mike begin and Shalice end in that? sea of energy and what it's doing and where there's no time and like it's all it is all one thing what is it that's giving us this experience um and that we just don't know like we what what i think what he does is he shows that our best science is telling us that we just really don't know there is so much more that we don't know than what we do know that taking that that really becoming attached to any one explanation as to oh this is reality is uh, foolish because there's just so much that we don't know and that I, that that's where i think it's i'm trying to figure out a way to to 
do a parallel to what you said earlier, Mike, about Mormonism and the Mormon story that you want to embrace, but also liberate yourself from. Yeah. And there, parts of that Mormon story for me is we've had revealed truth. So we know the truth and the rest of the world doesn't know the truth. And we need to give them the, the truth, you know, and it's this certainty about stuff that that's what I want to liberate myself from. So I don't, I don't want to continue that story by going, okay, now I found another thing that I'm attached to that. Oh, this is how things really are now. And oh, now I found mushrooms and LSD and other things. And now I know what reality is really like because of this, you know, and instead of just going, man, you could put a chemical in your brain and it alters your consciousness so greatly that what does that say about this mind that filters reality and what is really going on? But I, I've heard people before say, okay, so if you really believe that everything is just a hologram and the matrix, why not just go stand in front of a bus, you know, go, go stand in front of a train and see what it's like for that hologram to hit you at 55 miles an hour or whatever it is, you know, like, that, that's not what I want to do. That's not the point of well, <laughs> saying that everything's a totally different argument though, because yeah, like in but a that's video, where people go when they say it's not, you say it's not real. Oh, it's not real. Well then why don't you jump out of the window and see if you splat. Well, reality is all relative. Like how real is your face on my computer screen? You're not in front of me. How do I know you're real? Like there's many arguments that can be had about what is quote real based on someone's own perspective. And I think there's a difference between real and meaningful. Yeah, maybe. but if you're going to go stand in front of a bus, how does real or meaningful help you? You're going to get hit. You're going to die. There's like real world consequences that have to be taken into consideration, even if you're saying that it's just a, a, a matrix or a hologram or something like that. It's Right. But like if I'm playing a video game in Grand Theft Auto and I hit someone with the car that there's going to be consequences in the video game. It's the yeah. same sort of thing. Like from what perspective are we looking at reality? If I get hit by a bus and now my consciousness is floating in a different dimension, that was my reality, but now my reality is a different dimension. So, it's, right. I mean, I think reality, you can't even pinpoint the word because it all depends on perspective. Yeah. When the fireworks go off on July 4th and dogs think that there's bombs happening, that's their reality. Whether or not it is yeah. real, yeah. it's all about perspective. Yeah. Yeah. So what I'm hearing you say is that if you, if you do stand in front of a bus and you're killed, that's not the end of your consciousness. You're just in a different, you're, you're no longer having that consciousness filtered through your body and that experience you're floating somewhere else and that you're, you're experiencing something else with that consciousness that isn't the the, the body the vehicle anymore is that what yeah, you're saying and that that's my perspective and my reality so my belief is that our consciousness moves on after our vessel or our avatar passes away that's my perspective now it might not be someone else's i know there's plenty of people that think we're just like gone when our body dies yeah but that's something that i choose to believe in based on my own experiences yeah and i don't even know like so i i love your point glenn about um not just trying to find a new truth and then proselyte proselytize that truth 
And so like Shalice, I think I've come to believe now more in that this is, there's more to existence and consciousness than just this thing we're reality we're seeing. Yeah. But there's also the part of me that's like, I don't know that either. You know, I don't really know. I, I might believe that now. Um, and I'm just thinking of a parallel here, here when you're talking about walking out in front of a bus. Is there something similar to, you know how when we were in Mormonism and you would hear the, the phrase like, oh, if I left the church, I don't know what, you know, I would be yeah. having sex with hookers and getting drunk and doing, you know, all sorts of heroin. I, I would just, I would go off the deep end, right? Um, that that the, the fear and the guilt were the only things that were uh, helping me li live a good life. Is there a parallel there a little bit with like, well, okay, if this isn't reality, why not just end it? I think or am so. I stretching that? No, I think so because that's what I experienced. And I told you guys on my mushroom journey when I kind of was zoomed out and was like, oh, none of this actually matters. Maybe I can just like peace out. Yeah. Like I got, maybe I don't need to be here. Yeah. So I do think it, it makes a difference. When you say nothing, none of this matters. There was a moment when I was talking about coming back to this story, to this, my current story that I'm living. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason why I wanted to come back to it is I felt like there's still me. I'm learning something here. There's, there's an expansion to be gained here for myself, maybe, and maybe for others, where we've invested a lot of, I don't even know what this means, but like, a lot of collective energy in this current quote unquote reality, this current interface of, you know, past, past lives, or, uh, you know, you think of even just focusing on the Mormon story, the Mormon pioneers who crossed the plains, the, the, I'm trying to figure out a way to phrase this, but there's just a lot of things that I feel like, we are collectively learning from this story and there's meaning to that. There's meaning that or you assign to it. Yeah. Do you guys want there to be meaning to it? <laughs> I think that's part of it. I think as humans, we, we assign meaning to things and we say, this was a life-changing experience and I'm never going to forget it. And it may not be life-changing to someone else. It's the perspective in which you're experiencing that certain thing. And that's, that's kind of what I was talking about is usually when I experience mushrooms and I zoom out like, oh, it's not that serious. Like it, they're just lessons. They're just experiences. We're not meant to be defined by our experiences. We're just meant to learn the lesson and move on. But I think as humans in this density, in this like hard emotional planet we just attach so much to it and we make it our entire identity instead of just growing from the experience and moving forward yeah i i, I agree with that so what do you so what do you do with that like how does that how does that help you in your life to have that kind of view well because it helps me get over things faster for example like if something terrible happens to me, or at least this is what I've been learning and experiencing the past maybe three years, I 
go through something difficult and then I'm like, oh, I'm just supposed to feel the feels. Mm. I'm supposed to take the lesson and then I'm supposed to let it move through me. And so many people let that energy get stuck in their system and they just get blocked and then it just cripples them, which there's, I totally understand everyone has their own journey. And maybe that's part of their journey is to learn how to free themselves from that at a later time. But what I'm learning and experiencing is that if something bad happens now, I can look at it from a point of view of what was I supposed to learn from that? Yeah. Or was I just supposed to get angry and, and feel what anger really feels like? And then be like, oh, okay, now I know what anger feels like, or now I know what deep betrayal feels like, and I can move through it instead of getting stuck in that story. Yeah. And let it go. Yeah. And let it go. What if um, you, what if you want to stay in that story though, and you don't want to let it go? I don't, you don't want to move on. Yeah. You just want to kind of like keep experiencing that thing over and over again. Well, right. That's what, that's what you were just talking I think, about. Right? I think there's an element of you can, and you will, if you're not, re- if you're not willing to let it go, I feel like you will keep living that. Um, you know, it reminds me of, and at least what you were talking about reminds me of an experience I had this week where I woke up uh, from a dream, like at three 30 in the morning and very old patterns of waking up feeling super anxious Hmm. and I couldn't go back to bed Um, and getting caught up in like mental loops that of rumination that I've been really I haven't got caught up in them as much since I've been doing like therapy and plant medicine and um, but it was just a very old pattern and I woke up, I'm like, I'm, I'm not gonna be able to go back to sleep. So I did a uh, Kundalini yoga, did some meditation and then was, but still was kind of caught up in that loop. Went, uh, went to work. Well, went to work. I still work from home uh, for COVID, but um, in the middle of the afternoon, I'm like, I just need to sit with this. And you, what you were saying about feel it. Mm-hmm. And so I sat in my room, I welcomed the feeling and I just started sobbing for a good 30 minutes or so. And at the end, I wasn't ruminating anymore. Mm. And I remember thinking later and reflecting on it, I'm like, oh, in the past, I probably would have been stuck in that loop Mm. for a couple of weeks, maybe even a month. Um, But because of what we're learning and this experience of, oh, feel the feeling, welcome the feeling. And then when you felt it enough, ask yourself, can I let this go? Yeah. And it might be, nope, nope. I still want to feel this. Nope. Or I still want to hold on to this or nope. This person really pissed me off and I still want to be angry at this person. Mm -hmm. Okay. Give it some time and then still welcome the feeling, allow it to be there. And then ask yourself later, can I let this go? And maybe then you'll be like, yeah, I think we can let it go. And it's not always that simple. Yeah. But, um, you know, sometimes it uh, comes with a lot of grieving or other emoting, expressing anger, crying, all, all sorts of things. But whatever it is, I, I was able to move through that in less than a day this time than it taking weeks mm-hmm. in the past. And I think that's a, a, a sign. I don't know. It, it, I, I like that story. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So you feel like you've created some kind of metacognitive skill to be able to observe your feelings and not let them control you. 
but kind of make a choice on how you're going to react and respond to them instead of what might be deeply ingrained instinctual responses. Yeah. I think I'm doing better at flexing that, that muscle is getting stronger, yeah. whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. Do, do you remember a couple of weeks ago on that Facebook group, that Sangha page, I posted a poll with some Which questions yeah. on it. You posted so, a couple, didn't you? Well, I just posted one poll. Um, oh, I think there, it might've been, there were a few being posted around yeah, the same time. Yeah, oh, there, was, okay. there was another guy that, that he, he had posted a poll about like, what do you believe in God? Um, oh, right. And then I'm like, I'm not interested in that poll. I'm going to create my other poll. <laughs> yeah, I like I like and, and so I, I asked these questions, like I'm responsible for how I think and feel. My brain creates 100% of my thoughts and my feelings, uh, you know, just like a, a list of questions like that. And, and several people voted uh, what they thought about it. I, I interviewed a guy a couple of days ago named Dr. Jerome. It's the second time I've had him on Infants on Thrones. He's a, a functional neurologist. So he's, he, he's a clinician. Um, he, he works mainly, I think, with um, autistic children. But he takes this, this neurological approach. So I was so excited to talk to him. And I pulled up those poll questions. I'm like, what do you think about this? So like the, the, the question, <laughs> I am responsible for how I think and feel, that was the one that got the most votes of people that agreed with it. And there were 46 people that agreed with that on, on the page. And he's like, yeah, that's not totally true. He goes, I, and, and he just gave me this awesome explanation as to why, you know, you might think that you are responsible for how you think and feel, but the, the way that you think and feel has been conditioned over time since you were a, an infant and even before when you're in the womb and how you think and how you feel there are these these deep deep pathways that have been there for a long time and what happens is as you get older you get to a point where you start recognizing that this is going on and i think that's what you were talking about mike you know like you you became more aware and in that awareness you go oh i can choose what I'm gonna do with this right now. And so at a certain point, you can get to where you can choose it, but you're not really responsible for how you think and feel. And the example he gave was his, his wife went into the laundry room the other day and let out this blood curdling shriek. And he started freezing up because when he was, I think 14, his dad had a heart attack in front of him and his mom, started doing CPR and it cracked a rib and then she screamed because he was gone. And so now anytime he hears a scream, he goes back to that place. He has that feeling in his body. His wife saw a cockroach and that's why she screamed. And oh, yes, yeah. she, she grew up in a place where there was a lot of poverty and cockroaches and stuff. But she immediately, because they've been together for long enough, they know each other. She immediately poked her head out and apologized, said, hey, I'm sorry. And he was able to eventually calm down. But so he, he, he says, am I responsible for my fight or flight response being activated because there was that scream from my wife? It's like, no, but because I know what that is and I know why that's there and I recognize it when I feel it, I can, I, I have a shorter refractory period or whatever you want to call it. I can, I can recover. And uh, I thought that was really interesting. I, I loved having that that conversation with him. Um, well, there was one other thing that we talked about that was from that poll about perceiving 
more or less than 100 or that than than one percent of everything that truly exists around me because that was a question that i had on here i perceived less than one percent of everything that truly exists around me and the people that answered that were kind of split um that's the ones that said that, well i guess no there were there were eight that said i think it's more than one percent and there were 25 that said i think it's less than one percent um but that's where this donald hoffman stuff i think is so fascinating because we we perceive way less than one percent of everything that's around me i mean yeah. think about just right now in the conversation that we're having there are thoughts going on in your head right now that I don't have any access to. Like I might be able to see the expression on your face and make some kind of a guess as to how you're reacting or responding to what I'm saying, but I don't really know. Like there's so many things like that, that I just don't have any access to. Um, or even within my own body, let alone yeah, yeah. what's going on in yours. Like there's yeah. things going on in my body right now that I might feel a certain sensation. Yeah. Like my bladder is getting a little full right now, but like right. I can feel too. that. <laughs> we can take, take Sympathetic a bladders. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, um, uh, but so many other sensations I'm not even, I'm not even aware that I'm feeling right now. I mean, there's a sensation right now in my, you know, big toe that if I, okay, you but now that I'm focused it. on that, I'm not focused on anything else. I'm not even focusing on the conversation or anything, you know? I, yeah. yeah. Well, that dives into Joe Dispenza's work about Probably, how yeah. 90% of our thoughts are actually unconscious. And he yeah. talks about the neural pathways in the brain and how most of your days are just a repeat of the day before because you act on the predictable future and it's safe and it's mm -hmm. comfortable. And yeah. so the only way to actually change your life is by making the unconscious conscious. Yeah, which isn't easy to do. And, no. and, and the way that Dr. Jerome talked about it when I interviewed him, is he, I think he said like, three to five percent of your brain activity is conscious and the rest of it's unconscious um and it's so rapid fast you know like what what your environment what you what your body is sensing in the environment around you goes beyond just the five physical senses and it's making these calculations all the time that we're not even aware of so fast that then come into our awareness in the form of a feeling like a hunger pain or like a bladder saying, Hey, you need to empty me. Or, you know, like all of these ways that are our intelligent inner self <laughs> that is our central nervous system. I mean, whether you want to call it like an inner self or a higher self or a central nervous system, it's, it's this 95 or whatever percent of our neural pathways that we're not conscious of it, of that are constantly regulating and monitoring and trying to keep things at homeostasis. And uh, yeah, that that's fascinating. So then, so then can we dive into the part of the interview where he talked about how consciousness is the only thing that exists? Sure. Yeah. That was so interesting to me. And I've heard something and it's, he's similar. speculating. He, he, he like doesn't have any proof of that. Right. That's what he's asking for. He's like, I'd love for somebody to be able to prove this. Right. That consciousness creates reality. There have been experiment, experiments done. Um, I think it was like a hundred years ago or something. Have you heard of the double slit experiment? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So for people who don't know and correct me if I misspeak, but they oh, send... Will. Uh, they send photons of light through two slits to see how they react on the other side against like a, a wall, for example. And when they were watching it, 
or when they had a camera that was recording the act of the light being shoved through these two slits, it created a wave pattern. And then when they didn't watch it and they looked at the results, it was just all kind of, there was no rhyme or reason to it. They were just like splattered against the wall. So then the question is, so the act of actually perceiving something changes the outcome of it or the reality of it. Yeah, I, I, I'm not well-versed enough in the double slit experiment to really go in and say, oh yeah, you're right here, you're wrong here. I, I have heard people say that the, the way that that commonly gets explained, they're talking about an observer and how the, uh, an observer impacts things. And that yeah. there's sometimes some confusion around that because what they mean by an observer is kind of like a, a glass plate that you put in between two things so that as the light is passing through, it's passing through this glass plate. And when that glass plate is there, it takes what's normally in like a wave form and puts it in a particle form, but they can't really predict where it's going to be because it could be anywhere, but there's kind of like a field or something. So it's like a field of probability where this light exists simultaneously as a, uh, in, in wave form and particle form, but depending on where you put that plate or if you put that plate in there, it shows up as that, but it's not necessarily the same thing as a person who's watching it going, I want the particle to show up right there. And so it does, or I want this over there. So it's not like mind control of no, conscious think... observation that way, but it, it's just that yeah. the, the, the nature of the photon itself, is it a particle or is it a wave? The answer is it's both. And it shows up as a particle depending on forces that we don't really understand that we don't really know why it would. I didn't hear about the plate part. The, yeah. the only times that I've heard about it spoken about, it was when they put a camera to watch it happen, it behaved differently when someone was actually there watching it behave differently. And then when nothing was observing it, it created something that wasn't really resembled of anything. It was just like random. Yeah. Yeah. So the, the observation the key. act of observing that's that's how i i read about it i should look into it a little bit more but i found that interesting kind of like the whole if a tree falls and no one's there to hear it does it actually make a sound <laughs> see but i don't think that that's a puzzle i think that has a very clear answer to it <laughs> i mean yeah i i think though that's what he's arguing hoffman is that if i put this apple or whatever inside the fridge does it still exist Mm. or is consciousness what is actually creating that well it's the, the way that donald hoffman i think explains it is that the so like that red tomato that i talked about earlier that, that's our, our brain is rendering this image of a red tomato based on whatever the thing is that we're looking at that the photons are bouncing out and they're being filtered through our biology to get there and render this image so that when our eyes are closed it's not rendering that image. Is that thing still out there in space and time? Yeah, but it's not a red tomato. It, it's only a red tomato when the, the way that humans have evolved to filter photons combine with the photons being filtered. So it's, a, it, it's like one plus one equals two and, and you remove one of those uh, variables and you don't have two anymore. So if you take the if you take human perception out of it, it's it's human perception that creates the image of a red tomato, 
whatever mm-hmm. that is in objective reality exists. But when a, a, something other than a human is there to perceive it, it looks different or it is different. Mm-hmm. And if a tree right. falls in the middle of a forest and there isn't anything there to hear it to create sound, then it isn't sound. It's just air molecules that are moving around. But that's never turned into sound because there's nothing to transform it into sound. Right, right. So then it gets into the question of what do even (laughs) infants see? Like, are they rendering the same way that adults render or pets? Yeah. I mean, I know that we can look at their their color senses, right? Like how they see in color or not color, but how do we know that a dog actually sees the ball as we see the ball? Yeah. And, and the, the hard problem of consciousness that Donald Hoffman talked about, and he's like, this is the thing that I always want to know the taste of chocolate. What creates that? Mm -hmm. Show me, show me the, so like you said earlier, Shalise, that everything can be boiled down to like ones and zeros, basically like up quarks Mm -hmm. or down quarks or however you want to look at it. Okay. So what is the formula then? What is the mathematic formula for the taste of chocolate? Show me what that is and show me what that experience is and how we can duplicate that in any brain that if, if, if I plug it in one, one, zero, 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 one, 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 zero, zero, that's dark chocolate, one, 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 zero, that's milk <laughs> chocolate, you know, like what, where does the qualia uh, exist? And I think it ties in that question about children when, you know, when, when they're born, they have the, the, the bio, same biological constraints that we have with their eyes and their brains and their ears. And so that outside objective reality is being filtered in through a homo sapien evolved perception machine. Right? So there's going to be similarities there, but I, what, what exactly all is going on? I don't know. And, and so for me, the look, what, when I feel like I'm swimming in this stuff so deep that I can't touch the bottom and that there is no bottom uh, to even touch, I start to wonder like, what is the point of, playing in this fun speculative playground anyway and it it kind of comes back to that cockroach example of if I can become aware of my own response and reactions to things and realize it's not necessarily what I think that it is so if I can detach myself from whatever story of this is how it is and go wait maybe it's not then I give myself more options I give myself more choices and and so I can, to, to your point earlier, Shalise, I can get over something. If, if there's a problem that otherwise would have taken me weeks to get over, now I can get over it quicker if that's what I want to do. But I, I realize that it's my mind that is creating my experience of reality, mm-hmm. mostly on automatic, because 95% of this stuff is, is unconscious, subconscious. Maybe it's 99%, who knows what it is. But if I can get in there just a little bit to have some influence and go, well, I can choose to be happy or I could choose to be sad. I could choose to be grateful. I could choose to feel like a victim. You know, I could choose to look for the hidden gift in something I could choose. Like, how am I gonna react? How am I gonna respond to it? And that really does make a difference in how I actually feel and how I show up in the world. And that's where I start going, okay, yeah, there is some value in, deconstructing (laughs) reality in that sense okay so i this like my brain just went to the crazy place so (laughs) all right (laughs) so going back to the infant if we can't 
formulate the taste of chocolate. We can't formulate. Oh, we can. We it's can. just the science, can. science can't show us where, how we're doing it is the only thing. We can, because we do. Because I'm wondering then, are our experiences different than consciousness? If we go back to an infant who doesn't necessarily know how certain things work, they, they haven't been programmed yet, a blank slate. They can have experiences because they have all the basic needs. They cry when they're hungry and that type of thing. Yeah. So is consciousness different than experiencing reality, than like experiencing our senses? Because once we become conscious of something, does it change the way we experience things? Am I making sense? I think so. You're, you're asking if consciousness is separate from just responding to reality or if it is like, like like stimulus, like stimulus and response, stimulus and response. Yes. yes. And that's where I think, that's where I think it's conscious agents all the way down, kind of like turtles all the way down where, where, you know, when, when we talk about consciousness, we're usually thinking about what we're most familiar with, which is human consciousness. But if you really stop and think about what is it that's creating that sense of human consciousness, it's billions and trillions of living conscious entities called neurons and different cells in our body that each one of those is having a conscious experience that is not a human conscious experience but they're responding to stimuli and they're like they're communicating they're exchanging intelligence and that's what regulates our body that's what gives us our ability to reason and have cognition and process and so why yeah go no go ahead go ahead do you think it's possible then that the conscious, so let's say me, the conscious Shalise that is speaking right now, mm. can I tap into and communicate with the consciousness of my physical body, the consciousness that I'm completely unaware of that is doing its own thing? Is it possible to actually have a conversation? And maybe, I mean, I guess you could argue that that's what healers have been doing for centuries, like in the East, for example, tapping into the consciousness of my bladder and healing it or whatever it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I think that when you're hungry, that is your body communicating to you. It's, it's your cells communicating to you. Hey, we're, we're running low. We're running on low. Hey, Hey, you up there that is responsible for walking around and finding food and putting it in your mouth, go, go do that. And we'll take care of the rest of it. We'll digest it. We'll break apart all the nutrients. We'll get them to where they need to be. But what we need for you to do right now is go and get that food. So, so that kind of communication, I think happens all the time. I think it happened in that, the cockroach example from Dr. Jerome that I should like anytime we, I, I think it's happening constantly. It's constantly. And, and one of the values of meditation and mindfulness is calming down all of the chatter in our minds so that we can be more in tune with what's going on in our body instead of just what that worry, anxiety, chatter is. I don't, I don't know if you could really focus on the bladder and go, okay, we're going to heal you. Or if there's like a place where I've got cancer in my body and we go, cancer be gone. And it, and it listens to us and it leaves. I don't, I don't know about that. But have you, have I, you read the book by Anita Morjani? Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah. she proof did of, that. Proof of life. Is that what it's called? Huh? Proof of life. Is that what it, her book? No, dying to be me. Dying to be me. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, like she actually, so I guess it is possible. We don't, no one knows how she did it. She literally died from cancer that was ravaging her body. And she had a near death experience. She saw herself, the doctors, and she had the choice to go back down. And when she did, she was like, oh, I just need to heal myself. And she was like cancer free within months, a year, maybe. Well, the, the, um, I, I wasn't at this particular ceremony and I don't, I don't remember if it was this last new year's or the previous new year's, but the, the shaman that I've sat with before in his group, somebody coughed up a tumor in the, in, in the middle, like they, they had, they had like a throat tube. And so I saw the pictures of it and they did, they described what happened in the middle of the ceremony. Like he had come to ceremony as a way to deal with his cancer diagnosis and in the process of doing this, that tumor was released. He coughed it up. It spat it out of this bloody thing. And, you know, so I don't know. I mean, there's things like that that happen, but I don't, I don't, I mean, I, I guess I get, I, I really hesitate for, for the reason that I mentioned earlier before about the, the Mormon story of, I know the truth and I have the priesthood and I can control the elements. And I, you know, I have the power of God to make reality, whatever, like that to me seems like a trap. And and it seems like a trap of arrogance that is (laughs) built on this huge fountain. Like the wise man built his house upon a rock. The foolish man built his house upon the sand. Like it's all sand. It's, it's all shifting. We don't really know what this is so we pretend that we do and pretend that we can have control and then you go okay well i've got this problem i've got this cancer so i'm going to do these things that these people told me that i need to do in order to get this result and then if it doesn't happen what's wrong with me what am i doing wrong and it's like it it just goes through that same cycle all over and over again so i i just get really resistant to any any of that stuff you know yeah although i, I acknowledge that things like that happen i just don't know why or how or what well it were it, i mean <laughs> i was just saying that there was a time on my mission where i tried to rebuke someone's cancer and cast it out of their bodies yeah and he died two weeks later yeah <laughs> but it was a thing well first we went and get this guy had stomach cancer and uh we went and gave him a blessing and then we had a you know the blessing i'm just like this is not going to work this guy's this guy's on death's door here. Yeah. And then we went to a zone conference and our mission president was giving a speech from some book called like invoking the powers of heaven or something where you just have to have enough faith. And he got this pat had this passionate speech that when we're giving priesthood blessings, we need to revoke the illness mm-hmm. and cast it out of the body. Yeah. And use the so exact I, right words. And if you, yeah. and if you, if you do yeah. it in exactly the right way, then you'll get the result. So, I got so much courage. I went back there. We're like, we're doing another blessing. And I revoked the shit out of that cancer. <laughs> but it didn't work. Yeah. But but, it, but then but I were read you worthy, like, Mike? I, it was I I was the worthiest I've ever been, I Are feel like, sure? as far as Mormon terms. I don't know. Yeah. You, you might have <laughs> had some not. impure thoughts earlier that morning. That's true, you know. A lot of Brazilian women walking around. But. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then, you know, I think we've talked about the book, Letting Go, you know, you did that meditation that's really great on it, Glenn. Um, but in that book, he talks about how love can heal, that frequency of love can basically heal anything. And that was really like, that, that triggers something in me like, well, then 
but he talks about it. He, he even brings up in the book that, well, how do you explain when people are in hospitals and everyone's praying over them? And he, and he says, well, what energy are they bringing? It's usually the energy of fear that they're projecting out. But if it were really love, maybe it would work. I don't know. But it, well, that's I what go Anita back and forth. Says. But, that's but, what Anita says. said. Like she healed herself through unconditional love. Yeah. But maybe like if we go back to this whole thing of there's oversouls that are behind the scenes that are really pulling the strings of what are going on. Maybe that's part of the experience. Like I want to experience what it's like to die from cancer. Or yeah. I want to experience yeah. what it's like to stand in front of a bus and have it hit me. And that's the way I go out this time. You know, mm -hmm. I, th these are the conditions of the world that we live in. And I, I want to know what it's like to struggle with it. I want to know what it's like to be so certain that if I just do it this way, it'll happen. And then it doesn't happen. And I get disappointed. And then I have to deal with the aftermath of it. I want to know what that's like. I want to know how I'll respond to that in this human form, at this human time. And, you know, so I, <laughs> I, I gave a, a gospel doctrine. I wish I could remember exactly the way that I approached this, but this was like 15 years ago. It was a long time ago. And I, when I was in graduate school and I was studying folklore and I was starting to view the stories of my Mormon upbringing very differently, I was a gospel doctrine teacher. And so I would kind of, interject a lot of that stuff in my class. And there were some people that really liked it and some people that really didn't. And so one of the things I did was I took that scripture from, I think it's Moses, that this is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of a man. And I, I changed it. And I said, this is my work and my glory to make sure that nobody ever gets cancer, that nobody ever dies, um, that you always find your car keys. And, you know, and because what I wanted to say was, where are we really putting our focus on what is success and what's not success? Like where, where our relationship with God is working and where it's not working. It's because we have so many stories of these miracles. Like I was going to drive to this place and I had this prompting don't. And then, so I didn't. And then I found out there was this huge car accident and I wouldn't. So thank you guardian angels for keeping me safe. And that this becomes God's role. I'm going to keep you safe at all times. And it, it's kind of the inverse of the prosperity gospel where if you're good, God's going to bless you with blessings. Well, if you're bad, you're going to be punished. And I just like, is that really? Because what, what our scriptures say is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. It didn't, doesn't say that it's going to be the way that you think that it is <laughs> or that it's going to be pleasant or, you know, he didn't say it was easy. He only said it would be worth it. Okay. Slap me right now. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> I love it. I know I'm loving it. <laughs> but I, I, um, just, I used to love twisting that around because I could see this yeah. is, this is where people are putting their values. Anyway, go ahead. Okay. Well, I was just going to say, yeah, you're speaking to like, I think we get caught up in what our conscious mind wants, but what about yeah. the experience that the, that the thing that, the unconscious. that's really driving the show wants. Yeah. And it brings up the, a part on the recording that I was listening to as I was driving out to Shalisa's house, there was something he was saying about pushing buttons in the simulation to get us to experience a certain thing mm -hmm. and um, feel a certain thing. I would even say, um, and how much of that ties into, you know, when you do the work with your subconscious, your subconscious wants certain experiences here. And maybe it wants you to feel abandoned. Maybe, maybe in that cockroach example, it wants uh, like your friend to, to feel that emotion of 
fear again with that scream Mm. so he can feel it more and then release it um and so and maybe that's jumping too far ahead but basically our subconscious wants these feelings and it's going to keep putting us in if we're creating this reality our reality is going to be experiences that get us to feel that certain thing until we're really willing to fully feel it and we're at a spot where we can let it go and then the story shifts yeah yeah i mean to get all woo with it um (laughs) people talk about that in past lives as well like if you don't learn the lesson you came down to learn and experience in your next incarnation you may keep repeating the pattern until you move through it and you're like oh okay now i can move on yeah 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 my my um i think my mom probably would be okay if i share this I, I had her do a, uh, or she wanted to do a psychic reading many years ago when I when I first became friends with uh, Krista, the psychic who I had on Infant Sound Thrones a few times. She did a reading for my mom and I was able to sit in and be a fly on the wall and listen to it and, and record it so that my mom would have a copy of it. So I'm the oldest of four and I had a brother two years younger than me that only lived for two weeks. And he had some kind of heart problem and just devastating to my, my mom and, and my dad, uh, but especially to my mom. And so while she's doing this reading with Krista, she says, tell me about Mark as his name. Like, do I have a connection with him? Like, what is that about? And she, and she said, you know, you had this relationship in a previous life that was really, um, there was a lot of bitterness and animosity and distance. And so he came down and did this for you so that the next time that you meet, you'll both be so overjoyed to see each other that whatever karma, she didn't use the word karma, but whatever karma there was in that previous life just won't even matter because you're so excited to see each other. And that stretched my mind because I had never thought, I'd never even considered anything like that as even being a possibility. And I don't think my mom had either. And whether it's true or not, it definitely helped my mom view that loss, even though it it had been years. I mean, it it had been 30 years or, or so since his death, but just kind of putting it in a different perspective like that. So yeah, the, the, the past lives thing, and, and that stuff that Wendy talks about as, as well with the Pleiadian collective that you might be working out where in, in another lifetime, maybe even another star system, you were just dire enemies with this person because he performed some kind of act of genocide on your whole town. <laughs> and you're like, I cannot forgive this person for what they did. So then you come to earth and he ends up being your neighbor and you kind of don't really like each other that much. And you get into little arguments about the, you know, like the tree branches that are encroaching onto your property and stuff like that. And so you have to work it out in a way that it gives you the opportunity to make peace um, where the stakes aren't quite as high, even though the range of emotion is super high and something like a branch being over the, that might feel <laughs> way blown out of proportion, but learning how to let go of that, to accept it. You know, I, I've been feeling a lot lately as I've been 
paying attention to my own fears and insecurities and, and thinking about what Dr. Jerome said about his, his trauma from his dad's passing, that it's not something that you really let go. Like he's not able to reach into his brain and carve out those neural pathways and just get rid of them. But it's kind of accepting when they're there. Oh, okay. All right. And so like, what is it that you're really letting go of? It's not like you're erasing it like it never happened, but it doesn't have the power over you anymore, but you're, you're accepting that it's part of you. Not, right. That's kind of what I was that. talking about yeah. earlier is letting go of the attachment to it. Yeah. Letting go of being attached to your pain because people can become addicted to their pain, addicted to their stories, addict them to the victim mentality. Yeah. And then if you allow yourself to learn the lesson and move forward, you can actually make progress there. Yeah. And, and another thing that I love about Wendy Kennedy and that it's a departure from Mormonism. So it's a way of liberating me from that Mormon view of things is that she'll, she'll say, don't judge the people who are staying in their victim narratives. That's the experience that they're wanting to have that, that they're, they're having the experience that they want to have your judge. Your, your job is not to judge it, not to fix it, not to, you know, but just to love and accept and, not pull them out of that experience too soon too well i mean you you be there for them and whatever they want like whatever you want but i i think especially in the spiritual area and this is this is that mormon narcissism it's just so easy to go we're awoke they're not (laughs) you know like we've got the truth they don't and man we've done that before i'm not interested in that again and it's easy to fall back into that when i'm thinking of like the festival and like um you know, psychedelics and healing to be like, okay, no, now this is the answer. Yeah. And, and any place you're like, all right, we know the truth. You guys, uh, us, we, we've got it. Them, they don't. And you see that in so many different iterations. That... But here's the thing that just like <laughs> popped into my head. Yeah. Like Mike was saying, oh, this is the answer. Yeah. Maybe it's the answer for him. Maybe Mormonism is the answer for somebody else because it's working in their current circumstances to, perpetuate the reality that they've chosen for themselves so maybe thinking about past lives in different dimension is the answer to me and i'm like yeah that makes sense to me so it's okay to have different answers to the same problem and change your answers as you go along exactly for sure because because at one point in your life mormonism probably was working for you yeah Yeah. and and even now there's ways of looking at it we're going uh, it it helped show me ways that i don't want to be and so in that sense it's still kind of working for me it was interesting, Glenn, when you were talking about, you know, maybe the having past lives or, or having um, other experiences and then, you know, now your neighbors, that kind of that, that yeah. story. It reminded me of another part of my LSD journey where um, I felt like, you know, at this festival, it's, it's an interesting time, you know, psychedelics are starting to become more mainstream again. Mm-hmm. There's, you know, I think they're going to become very mainstream in the next several years. Yeah. So we're kind of at a, a, a bit of a tipping point. And especially in Utah, this is the first event like this they've had in Utah. It's a Nexus event. Yeah. Okay. Right. A Nexus event. <laughs> uh, I love it. Let's do it. But um, 
the uh, you know, the, the it, and you have people approaching medicine in different ways. You have one that's uh, it's basically a, a church in a way, the divine assembly. You have us that were there who are hosting a podcast about it. You have people there that are depending on it for their livelihood that are, you know, shamans and healers and energy workers. You have people who would like it to be more of their livelihood, but don't know how to do it, you know, and you have people that they're there just like, yeah, I just want to take drugs and have a good time, you know? Um, and so part of that, when I said like the oversoul and the puppets, mm-hmm. I meant it more as I felt like we were playing on a smaller scale out scenarios mm-hmm. that were helping a, something bigger than yeah. us, but we were playing it off, playing it out on this small microcosm in this small desert area with this group of people, but it felt like different factions from different uh, alien races and stuff. And they were playing it out in just this space. And a lot of it maybe is, now maybe this is just my own reality being projected out, but okay, the medicine's coming. How, how do we get it more to the people in a way that we're not selling it necessarily, or we're not trying to monetize it, but we're just trying to like, promote it, but we also want to create abundance for ourselves so that we can facilitate it and really being in service to people with it. And that's the, that's what I was playing out, whether it was so much like a lot of my own story and my own narrative playing out or whether there was something to that. I don't know, but that's all. it was interesting. And it, it triggered that when you were talking about the whole neighbor. Yeah. Scenario. Yeah. Cool. Huh. Would love to have you there. I know. Yeah. yeah. You, you know, like I, I, I wish I would have been there, but when I looked at pictures of it, I think I would have been miserable. There, <laughs> there was wasn't hot. shade, right? No, it was no. hot. There was, it was hot. It was like one of the hottest weekends. There's no shade. I would have been so miserable there unless I had like a, a, a camper and I was running the AC the whole time. That's what we had. Yeah. yeah. It was even then we're like, Oh, we can't run it all day. So right. <laughs> Yeah. And I, think, I think because of that, there was limited interaction between people during the day, yeah. you know, which kind of, I didn't even see these it. guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we, we emerged at night and Sasha Lee's, but yeah. Um, yeah, but it was a cool experience. So a lot of cool, you know, in our camp, we had mountain tribe, the band played there both nights, really good vibe. Yeah. The dance party was phenomenal. Uh, it was a good, and we met some really cool people there. Yeah. And so I think it's going to build. And I think, and I think we're gonna have more events like this. So yeah there'll be more opportunities do, do, do it in like uh, a, a camping like up in the mountains where it's cool and shaded and yeah. i'll go there <laughs> i don't want to do it in like the desert face and like a burning man yeah trees and like yeah. maybe a creek yeah 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 that sounds awesome actually costa rica. Um, my mom has like yeah costa rica is happening so my mom has this amazing property with acres and they're actually looking to put up teepees that you can rent out like for airbnbs and Ooh. like host retreats and stuff there and they do have a creek and a pond and trees so all right that's in the future i'll i look forward to the invite <laughs> that'd be awesome yes. that'd be cool so i i do want to ask each of you one at least one last question if we're wrapping up i don't know if we are or not but um so we talked about the hybrid children project and then i sent you the files yeah. So I, I'd, I'd like to hear the return and report from Shalice on after <laughs> listening to the hybrid children project, what your response was. And then something similar with you, Mike, was the, the bringing home here oh, yeah. one that you listened to that, that you really, really liked. So let, let's start it's with It's funny you. because that popped into my head yesterday. Yeah. 
as I was thinking about um, meditating. So, okay, this is like a small tangent, but it yeah. relates. So we just recorded an episode with my friend Kimber, who channels the Akashic. Yes. Oh my gosh. Did I want to talk listen? with her. No, but I want, no, I want to, because you've okay. talked about her before. I have. Yeah. Okay. So I'll she listen came to on. Yeah. Um, it was amazing. She got booked <laughs> up like by a ton of people after that I'm release sure. because everyone's like what yeah um so there's a moment she says a prayer to kind of um meditate and then get into the space and when she feels her consciousness elevating into the akashic record she says the records are not open you may ask any questions that you have and right after she said that there was like a white noise voice that came through that was none of our voices and we're trying to isolate that now and figure out what the heck it was saying because it was it was a voice and I freaked it's out. I was like weird, right? <laughs> and you can hear it. You can go on our live episode and hear it. Help us know Mormons on mushrooms in the light of the Akashic Records. To see Mormons on mushrooms through the eyes of the Lords of the Records and enable me to share the wisdom and compassion that the masters, teachers, and loved ones of Mormon on mushrooms have for them. The records are now open, and you may ask your first question whenever you're ready. Drink or mobile tea. I'm very The Mormon Church is true. How can we be a better source for creativity, inspiration, and healing uh, within the communities that we find ourselves? It was a voice. And I freaked out. I was like, weird, right? (laughs) And you can hear it. You can go on our live episode and hear it. And so I told her and she was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Something is trying to come through and talk with us. And so we um, meditated on it. And I did. So that night, like, all right, who's trying to connect with me? And I saw green. I saw blue. I saw this trident that turned into a fishtail. I was like, I'm in the ocean. It was like this underground, not underground, underwater civilization of mer people, which was wild. I'm like, what is this? And Atlantis popped into my head. And then I thought, well, Atlantis, the last civilization was above ground. We know that it fell into the ocean. But before that, I was getting the impression that it was like beings that lived under Atlantis in the water because we know it was also like on the water. And then um, the next morning I had a message from one of my Instagram followers and he was like, oh, that necklace that you're wearing looks a lot like a necklace from the movie Atlantis. I was like, what? Like confirmation. And then the next day I was scrolling through Instagram and I saw another thing about Atlantis. So anyway, that (laughs) sparked the whole thing of, um, okay, who's trying to connect with me? And then I thought, oh yeah, that thing that Glenn sent me was talking about how I could connect to the hybrid children that apparently I helped give birth to or not give birth to, but use my genetic material for. And so it's funny that you bring that up because I was just thinking about that. And now I want to, now that I'm kind of done with the revival, it took a lot of time. I can meditate on that and see if I can actually connect with something because obviously it's possible. Things have been trying to come through Yeah. and, um, yeah, it did. It blew my mind in some ways. Then in other ways, I'm like, yep, that's what I was told a couple years ago. And it's just so crazy. Talk about a crazy reality. The fact right. that it may be possible that there is some 
extraterrestrial being that took my genetic material to make children on another planet. I mean, how much weirder does it get? <laughs> it's like, it's wild. I love that. That is wild. <laughs> so, so, so now I need to send you her uh, lecture on Atlantis. Oh, yes, please. Yeah, I'll send, I'll send that to I you. I want to hear the hybrid children one too. Yeah. Did you send that to good. me too or not? Oh, I'll just give you guys access to my Dropbox where I've got all the files oh, in there awesome. and go through and grab them. Because I mean, also, I listened to it on my phone while I was at work drafting some patterns. Yeah. And I didn't know that it was stuck at the one hour preview. So I didn't actually listen to the whole thing. You sent me two parts and I only got an hour of each. Um, but yeah, incredibly incredibly interesting and it does on some level resonate with me i'm like yeah that kind of feels like it could be a thing um especially since it's just so random and weird that i was an egg donor in this life like that that was part of my journey was donating eggs and now i'm getting the feeling that you know someone else is taking them oh that just okay something uh, just clicked this. guys so um, i love being here in person when you guys see these it's just oh, yeah. it's a different energy i love it yeah. so i donated eggs for the first time when i was i want to say 21 and i did it consecutively four times like within a year period because you can't do it back to back there's like all these hoops you have to jump through and you have to get picked and whatever so I did it till I was like 24, 25. And then I did it again, like four years later. Cause I'm like, you know what? I could do it one more time. And it wasn't successful. So when they took my eggs the first time, they were able to mature and ovulate about 28, which is a huge number for a donor. The next time I did it, they only got five and then none of them were feasible. I'm like, what happened to all my eggs? Granted, I was older, but still now I'm like, maybe it's because the aliens took them. <laughs> I might have. <laughs> I hope there's some Possible. left for me. <laughs> Different donation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, as, as you were telling that story, I remembered that, um, was it like May 25th, there was a, was it an eclipse or there was like a big super moon or something like that? And so Cammie and I are out in the backyard just taking pictures of the moon. And the next day, I don't, I don't think I'd, you'd be able to see this. I can but, see uh, it. You see this right here? Oh, wow. Okay. There, there's a little Wait, light hold right it down a little bit more. Down, like down on the screen. Wait. Yeah, I can see them. I mean, it looks. See that little light? Oh, yeah. right there. Oh. You see that little light that's moving? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, so we didn't know, and it drops behind the trees. Um, yeah, that's definitely yeah. a ship, right? Hundred <laughs> percent, like no doubt in my oh mind. My you saw it. Like we didn't, we didn't see it. We were just like taking pictures, but you know how like your phone yeah. can do like, oh, this is a live picture, and then yeah. it moves like a Harry Potter yeah. newspaper article or something. Yeah. <laughs> there's this, there's this little like ship that zigzags and then drops down. And I and I'm like, okay, that was their way that they were saying hi. Did you, could you send that picture yeah. to us? Yeah, I can try. Okay. I can Sometimes try. Yeah. I, I, oh, okay. Yeah, the live the lives don't always. I converted it to a video, oh. but it makes it fuzzier. Mm. But okay. Yeah, I'll 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 do that. That's yeah. amazing. And Kimber was talking about <laughs> how a lot of times ships cloak themselves in clouds. So if you see a cloud that kind of looks like a a spaceship that you. <laughs> imagine would, would would kimber do another interview with you probably yeah 
ask her. You want to join? You want to join? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And let, like, I, I want to ask her questions about Joseph Smith being uh, like visited by aliens and see what she gets. Cause so, cause I, cause I did interview uh, Christy. Uh-huh. Did I send that to you guys? Yeah, I, wait, wait, you no. sent us parts. I, no, you did. You sent us the full thing. Yeah. To me too? Yeah. Maybe. I don't remember I that. think so. It was right at the beginning. So. This is oh. months ago. Oh, no, but I interviewed her again. Oh, no, then I haven't. Like, no, just like a few weeks oh. ago. No, you didn't um, send us that. To, yeah. And uh, she talked a little bit. She didn't talk a ton about it, but I kind of want to compare what she says to what Kimber says, just because I'm a curious, yeah. you know. Yeah, let's do. I think that'd be interesting. I'll, I'll ask her if she wants to do um, a podcast episode with us, with you. Yeah, specifically. Yeah, I, I'd, I'm curious. I'd, I'd love to do that with. I'm her. curious if she's ever gotten questions specific to Mormonism because she did grow up in Utah, and mm. so she has experience with Mormons, but not as a Mormon. So I think she would probably really fascinated to dive into that. Yeah, yeah, that'd be cool. That'd be cool. That would be cool. So then how about you, Doug, with the bringing home here? Were there Mike, any, Mike. any yeah. things from that one that you, oh, I, I keep calling you Doug this whole time today. I don't know why. <laughs> I, I, I take it as a compliment. I like, I love Doug. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. Yeah, I wish I had my notes on it. It's been a few weeks since I listened to it, but let me just tell you this, the part where it really hit home for me. And this was my, like my only other LSD journey I did, you know? Um, mm. And that's the day before I met you in person or two days before mm. I met you in person, Glenn, but yeah. I had this experience where I was, I was sitting there with the medicine. I was feeling really good. And then um, someone we were tripping with came up and he was kind of watching me and he's like, um, where's your attention at right now? And I'm like, you know what? I'm just like, I'm, I was sitting outside. I was looking at like the stars or the sunset and just was really in it, you know, but I didn't know where it was going. My thoughts were going everywhere. And he's like, I was just watching your attention go places. And he kind of talked about how, you know, you, he's like, I see you and you, you carry people's emotions a lot, but you don't have to, you just change your attention where, where your attention goes. Energy that's, flows. that's what, yeah. And so <laughs> after that, I was sitting with it and I'm like, you know, I'll, always on these trips, I want to go, I want to talk to alien beings. I want to talk to the Pleiadians. And I'm like, oh, I need to put my attention there. Yeah. So I got there. I just met. I went in the, back inside the home. I sat down, started meditating, and just t tuned in. And I was getting all these cool imagery of this alien race, this blue race. And like, well, I don't know if it's imagination or not, but that's part of it, right? It's trusting my imagination when it was coming up. And I got the sense that like there was this beautiful civilization. And we're bringing that here. Mm. to this realm and so when we go into the subconscious when we go into these other places sometimes we're bringing that realm here and i asked them i'm like well how do i do it and the answer was oh you're already doing it we're giving it to you yeah. all you have to do is receive yeah you you don't receiving is the thing you need to learn here you 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 gave so much and maybe that was part of the thing with you know mormon upbringing you learned how to give so much of yourself. Now you're learning to re to receive, and that's all you have to do is receive it. It's it's also kind of like what where the, the the Mormon way is. If you want it to happen, you have to do it. You have to make it mm -hmm. happen. So how am I going to bring home here? Where where the answer could be? Oh, don't worry about it. 
nature's taking care of that. Uh-huh. It's it, you know, like you, your your inner body, like everything's taking care of it. And in fact, you being aware of it is one of the results of it actually happening. But you're not controlling it. You're not making it happening. You're just a result of part of what's going on. So trust, trust. And the more you, trust, the more you try to force it. Actually, the more your 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 fists are clenched and you're not receiving it. Yeah. Well, I I mean, it's going on whether you're trying to force it or not, and like what whatever. Just kind of trust and and be open to it and love it. Yeah. That's that's cool. yeah. And so then I saw you two days later, and I was kind of recounting that to you, and you said you have to yeah. listen to this episode bring right. home here yeah. and there's so much in that one um there it but, is. yeah it's a really good one uh yeah but that i mean that was the the big thing that drew, drew me to that one and then we could go into the other one another time but yeah if you had if you had the choice to have a really intimate one-on-one conversation with a, a, a real live pleiadian or just your own subconscious mind, that 95% of what's doing Mike, um, which would you choose? Ooh. I only get one, right? Um, yeah. In this thought experiment. And then I'm going to trick you. I would, I'm saving that. I would choose my subconscious. I would not. Yeah, You would not. Huh? I would not. Mm. Well, I like this. I guess, yeah. <laughs> the reason I would choose the other being is because I don't want the cheat codes to my reality because if I could ask myself, what are all of the answers, then how would I ever learn and grow as I continue on knowing all of the answers? That's kind of part of the point is figuring out yourself. So mm. I would want to ask the other being more about other dimensions, maybe even smaller questions about my journey here and my purpose here, my mission, but I wouldn't want to talk to myself because then I would know everything. But isn't there, is there an element that like those beings do live inside you? That's kind of where I was going to oh, go with go it and try to tie <laughs> it back to this Donald Hoffman stuff. No, because I, I don't think there's any way of getting around a- any conversation that you have with another person. Like my conversation with you guys right now is being filtered through my mind, being filtered through my interface. And so in a sense, it is a dialogue with my, my own mind, my own self. Mm. And, and if you're imagining a conversation with Pleiadians, that's your, your, it's your imagination. Your, it is your, it is this little facet of your inner self kind of thing. I don't know that I, I'm not saying that that's the truth. I'm just saying that I had that idea. What do you think about it? <laughs> yeah. All. I mean, it definitely <laughs> filters through your mind, but especially on psychedelics, when you remove the mind from the equation and you just have pure consciousness, I think that's a different conversation. Wait, do you, you think that's what's going on with psychedelics? You have pure consciousness and you've re- removed the mind from the equation. That's kind of where I'm leaning towards because mm. I mean, not to say that my mind isn't working because it has to, or else I would probably die. Um, but I think it's removing the logical side. It's removing the egoic side. It's removing Mm. the side that says, no, this has to be your reality. This is, this computer is real and it's in front of you. And when I take it away, maybe taking away part of the interface is when I actually have the experiential side of uh, consciousness without all of the filters of the brain trying to put labels on things so that I can understand it. Mm. 
Interesting. I'm trying to wrap my brain around that. <laughs> yeah. I love it though. Yeah. I, I, the thing that jumped out to me and what you said, Shalise was the, about the logic uh, where instead of your mind always trying to figure things out logically, it's like, there's more going on. It, it, it quiets that it shuts that down. Right. Um, and so there's more of a sense of kind of direct experience, yeah. but that's how I feel yeah. anytime I do yeah. mushrooms. It's, and that's why it's so hard to explain the experiences when you come back yeah. to reality, because there are no right. words for an experience that, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. that your mind can't logically yeah. put a label on. Same thing sometimes when you're trying to wake up and write down a dream, you know, it's just kind yeah. of like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to put this into words. Um, but not to talk too much about the Kimber episode, but she <laughs> talked about something really cool. There was, she said, she developed a very strong imagination as a child and yeah. she needs that now she it's yeah. so imaginative and um and so i was just thinking that that with your question glenn about your subconscious and the imagination and palladians it's like trusting and leaning into that imagination uh, is something i'm going to try to work on going because i i think for me i wait for it to come and and maybe things like images emerge and I'm like, Oh no, I'm just making that up. But yeah, I'm just making it up, you know, and mm-hmm. lean in. Lean yeah. But that. it's, but what are, what is it that you're making up? You're making up the icons, yeah. the, the interface, the interface yeah. and, and what are those icons, those symbols symbolizing? What are they representing? Where is the objective reality behind the icon that we really don't understand? And that I think would be a subconscious thing. Yeah. Um, but uh, did, did, did you listen to the, uh, the question that I asked Wendy and her response? Oh, no, when I, I, when I asked about her, that email. Oh, I can't <laughs> I wait to go too. back and listen. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I asked her basically like, is, is what you're doing real? Like the, the, the Pleiadians really exist in outer space or are they in inner space? Is this part of your imagination or is there really even a difference between those two things? And she's like, well, it just depends on what perspective you're looking at it from. From a 3D perspective, yeah, it's outside. But from a 5D perspective, we're all, it's all connected. And so whether you think of it as the imagination or you think of it as real, does it really matter? It's, yes. It's kind of the same thing. That's what I was trying to say earlier is reality is yeah. relative depending on your perspective. Yeah. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Lay down the weapons that you use against the world. We don't need another war. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You Hi, this is Hillary. Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Keith. Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear... Give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune him to the scene between the eyes and take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I...